Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and today we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today, not just because we are in our new exciting studio, but also because we have a longtime friend of The Block, Adam Cochran, joining us on the other side of the mic. Sir, we're going to be continuing our coverage of the crypto crackdown in America as well as the implications it can have on the market and much more. And we'll probably talk a little bit about some memes. And maybe Adam will make fun of me for how terrible I am with technology. He got a lot of the behind the scenes there. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Do more with your crypto. Whether you're a crypto expert or a newcomer to the world of digital currencies, PayPal provides a secure and convenient platform for your crypto transactions. Start exploring new Web3 applications with peace of mind, knowing that PayPal has your back. Learn more and get started today at paypal.com crypto. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. All right. Adam, thanks so much for taking the time. So just a little warm up. You mentioned on Twitter that you've uh, spent the last week writing letters to various members of Congress. Have any of them responded to you? I uh, n- no. not in this batch, not at this time. <laughs> yeah. You know, this, this is something that I've done over the years, uh, writing to politicians across uh, different countries, across the political spectrum. Uh, and, and sometimes you do get engagement from them or their staffers. And I have in the past have had responses um this batch we'll see uh, I, i'm not confident that anything will necessarily come of it first brush um but i think there's a growing bipartisan interest um especially among the the moderates who don't speak out on these issues a lot where they're interested in actually learning more and learning the facts behind it and so engaging positively as an industry and giving them an outlet where you know, their staffers can reach out and have someone to ask questions of um, really creates some productive avenues. Mm. So what was the crux of of your letters? How are you making the case for crypto to these members of, of Congress? I, I mean, I, I try and tailor it a bit on what I know of the person, right? We, we forget that politicians are people and they all have their own motivations. So some of them, it's as simple as like, maybe there's an ego-driven figure who really doesn't like uh, any regulator encroaching on the powers of Congress. And you really highlight, you know, how out of line Gary is being when it comes to uh, his overreach uh, on something that should be congressional rulemaking. Um, in other cases, you know, there's a lot of uh, members of Congress who care very deeply right now uh about u.s jobs and investment and highlighting to them what's actually being lost there uh, in terms of investment in the space and in terms of job opportunities for americans and so it's kind of just giving them the insight and ammunitions that they're already focused on that they they care about deeply and trying to highlight some of that to their their staff to dig in deeper too 
Well, it's fun to have a bit of a distraction from the market, I guess. You can kind of put down the, uh, you know, trading view chart for a second to, you know, put some pen to paper, as it were. What are you thinking about um, in terms of the market impact of all of this uh, regulatory uncertainty? We've seen, um, you know, we've talked this morning with Wintermew and Key Rock and a few market-making firms that told us that they've completely gone off Binance US. The fate of Binance US seems really uncertain. Binance seems like a different story. What's your take? You know, it, it, it's an absolute chilling effect with this regulation by enforcement. There's no clarity, right? And that's why we're seeing we're seeing these different fintech products like Robinhood and Sophie, um, Sophie, I don't know, uh, drop these assets, right? Because they don't have the clarity. Uh, and when they're dealing with the SEC on these regulated products like stocks, they don't want to take the chance, right? So even without a day in court, even without uh, clarity of a judge saying this is a security or any guidance and rulemaking, uh, these assets are being removed from American audiences, uh, largely sold, funding in their ecosystems is dropped, uh, different OTC desks don't want to touch them or deal with them. Uh, so we're seeing already some of the economic impact of that chilling effect. And that just gets expanded from there where we've got like fractured liquidity in different jurisdictions, it's harder to move between different jurisdictions and on and off ramp. And I, I think eventually it leads to like this increase in problematic fraud in the space is, you know, no doxed American team wants to deal in the space. And you've just got this proliferation of um, a non projects, which could be good or could be rug pools. Right. Mm. Well, I mean, I think you're totally right. If if you're a Robin Hood and let's say I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but 75 percent of that business is probably equities anyway or options and equities. So that would mean some of the assets that they listed on the crypto side would only be a fraction of of the of the broader crypto fraction. So you're right. It doesn't make sense from a risk um, perspective. You might as well just delist an asset, even if if the sort of designation hasn't been made clear, but there's a potential yeah. for it. Even even in the quarters where uh, crypto was their driving force, it was random uh, meme coins, right? Like it was Dogecoin, mm -hmm. uh, something that had no risk of being a security because there was nothing else to it other than the meme, right? Um, and so those were the big drivers. So why why would they take the risk? Why would they risk their business fundamentally? It's just it's the safer choice for them when in a in a lack of clarity, and it overly penalizes both these projects as well as American consumers. A hundred percent. So what do you think? What do you think is more impactful, the Binance suit or the Coinbase suit? I think in terms of market conditions right now today, the suit being brought against Binance is something that had a larger economic impact. I think if both cases were found in the negative, the Coinbase case would actually have much deeper implications for the broader market. Not just because it is this publicly traded, you know, best foot forward American institution in this space, mm -hmm. uh, but actually because of some of the claims within that case. Um, specifically, you've got a whole bunch of named assets being called securities who haven't had actions taken against them, who haven't had their day in court, uh, can't really defend themselves. That's going to set a kind of soft precedent that these assets are securities and the SEC will point to that if it's not litigated carefully. 
But the more dangerous and overlooked clause that was in there was this idea that Coinbase Wallet, a non-custodial wallet, was a broker-dealer because it had the ability to route an order to a DeFi app. Mm. Um, and that's an incredibly dangerous thing if not properly litigated in this case because it could set the, the precedent that MetaMask and your hardware wallet and all these things need to be registered broker-dealers if they interact with and extend and route something to uh, a DeFi app. And the slippery slope there is that validators could be broker dealers if they are routing an order on chain. So I think that's the most dangerous clause. And the SEC knows that they're going to bring this big suit where the staking stuff is kind of gray area. They'll get some wins and some concessions there. And they're hoping that Coinbase litigates that, settles, and ignores these smaller points because it's not necessarily in their best interest to do and that they'll be able to expand out their reach unfairly from there. So I think that's the more dangerous case. This is one of the second order effects uh, that the enforcement actions could have, which is on DeFi. What what other, how else does it maybe, they didn't really use the word DeFi or decentralized finance, but there's a bit of an insidious under undercurrent. Yeah, and I, I think they're very careful in not using that word because they don't want to legitimize this idea of the decentralized component. They want to say that, you know, this is all about the humans and the validators that are partaking in this network and that it's not decentralized. And therefore, everything can be a broker dealer. Everything can be a, uh, an ATS exchange that's improperly registered. Uh, and they're trying to kind of push that argument in there. I think it leads to just this continued fracturing where more DeFi apps are going to continue to block and geoblock US users. We might see a proliferation of, of DeFi apps that are forced to do some variety of KYC, right? Um, but we're definitely going to see reduced uh, liquidity all across the board, uh, reduced involvement of American institutions who just don't want to take on any regulatory risk, uh, and projects being pushed offshore, right? So when there's no legitimate option, in the US, American users and developers go offshore and take higher risks, right? And that's what we saw with FTX. When there was a choke point in America where we couldn't get the quality of product that you saw elsewhere, people went offshore to unregulated entities and got burned. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's so bizarre to me that they wouldn't want to at least create a framework to protect consumers versus kind of push them into unsafe jurisdictions or, you know, jurisdictions where there's there's very little oversight. Um, but we're we're seeing I mean, this is um, it's not a meme, right, where companies kind of say or, or hint at moving offshore to kind of similar to sort of what like um, Ken Griffin at Citadel does with Chicago. You know, he always would hang that carrot over the head of of lawmakers there saying, we'll move. They ended up moving quite a bit of operations to Miami. I don't think they've completely gotten out, gotten out of Chicago, but we saw A16Z put their money where their mouth is, uh, announcing that they're going to move some of their operations to the UK um, as part of sort of, as part of this sort of ongoing um, environment in the United States. Is is that significant? I thought it was interesting that you had the prime minister sort of uh, come out and say welcome, and then mentioning Web three, mentioning the sort of innovation potential in crypto, juxtaposed with one, you know, President Biden. Uh, it's almost night and day. Oh yeah, and I, I mean, this is the same across the world. Other countries 
know that this isn't going away and are trying to find a balanced approach to this, right? Um, for example, in Canada, Ontario is known, uh, Ontario's Security Commission is known as the strictest regulator on securities in the world, even worse than the SEC. And they have a framework for crypto, right? Like exchanges are signing that framework and finding a pathway to offer some services as compliant exchanges in Ontario. Um, I think when you look at it, it you know, it, it's not a meme, this offshoring. It, we've missed that point, right? This is real that one of the most successful VC firms of all time is turning their attention and their capital away from the US because of the treatment of an entire industry. Um, and you've got the prime minister of another country seizing that opportunity, aware that this is an opportunity and involved in those discussions. This is at the highest levels. This is a an absolute fumble uh, for the U.S. government and, you know, U.S. industry at large. Do you think they'll wake up to that reality? Do you think this will sort of an, an, an activate Congress? I think they'll wake up too late. You know, I, I'm less optimistic uh, about it in terms of, you know, time to market than before, right? I, I think they will wake up. They will come around on this. There will be better um, regulatory stances in the U.S. around crypto, but I think it will be once either the euro or the yuan is making most of the on-chain transactions. Like it'll be too late, um, and it will be a real fight for them to claw back any gain. Um, the U.S. had the opportunity to be the crypto hub and really own this space, just like it was for um, even as far back as the industrial revolution and and manufacturing and the internet, right? Everything. Uh, and it's fumbled that. Someone else is going to win it now. Attention crypto holders. Moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto terms and conditions apply. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. So how is this all manifesting into the venture landscape? What are you seeing at Seenham Hang Ventures um, in terms of, you know, the number of deals, valuations, um, where companies are building 
I mean, valuations are definitely down from what they have been. The, the froth is out of the market. Um, there's still lots of people pitching and there's still deals getting done in weird sectors at weird valuations and still some U.S. ones. That's that's never going to go away because there's just so much money sloshing around in the space and so much potential. Um, but definitely a proliferation of offshore teams, anonymous teams, um, overseas projects, founders who have been in the U.S. but moved to other jurisdictions. Mm. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing is actually on the fund side where we're seeing that a lot of other funds are pulling back from anything that has a centralized component and really pushing, you know, they're only investing in fully on-chain decentralized things. And that's good to an extent, but when our ramps and infrastructure are under attack and so weak in the industry right now, um, that needs investment as well. So what's the litmus test for for sort of proper decentralization in that respect? Um, I, you know, I, I think we're still learning where that is. Um, and it, it's evolving. I think the, the Ukidao uh, mm-hmm. case becomes a very interesting component of it. Um, that sadly didn't bring us as much insight as we wanted because it ended up being this like default summary judgment because nobody showed up mm-hmm. in the case. So we didn't get to see litigation on the finer points, but there's this divide somewhere between um, the CFTC and others wanting to view DAOs as unincorporated associations, mm-hmm. right? And and so the, the divide there isn't something well-established. Um, like when is it a group of people and when is it an unassociated, uh, unincorporated association? And it'll come down to some sort of definition of like, what does it mean to do business? Um, and so one of the lawyers in the space, Gabriel Shapiro, uh, you know, he's come up with this idea of the Borg rather than the, the DAO. And it's this idea that you have to divide away the business operations in a DAO. And I think it's a really good point where DAOs can be ways for people to vote on variables in a protocol and make adjustments, but they shouldn't be doing business. They shouldn't be hiring people. They shouldn't be paying for marketing. They shouldn't be running operations and things like that. That gets a little more onto the doing business side. And I think that will have to be kind of a dividing line in terms of at least U.S. policy of where something is autonomous or not. So who does that? Who who conducts that side of the business or operation? Yeah, I mean, that, that can be entities who are token holders or earning from it. Um, yeah, these these kind of components where we see multiple companies working on a protocol become very interesting, right? Or the original developers have stepped back and now there's like a consortium of people pushing towards it. And I don't think we have stunning examples of it yet, but we're seeing an emergence of it. I mean, when we think of something like Compound, you had Compound Labs, but you had GFX Labs and others contributing to it as mm-hmm. well. Um, and and that becomes interesting. Uh, with Optimism, we're seeing the super chain angle, and now you've got Coinbase as the second core contributor to Optimism as a core. Um, so we're seeing kind of these consortiums come together and work on protocols rather than businesses. And I, I think that's kind of where we need to get to, to be safe in the U.S. regulatory landscape around DAOs. Mm. But they're still in a, yeah, it's un, it's uncertain, right? Like I'm curious, yeah. even with the Coinbase case, uh, you have a project, you have Solana, uh, which has been deemed by the SEC as security. 
I'm curious what the second order effect of that is in terms of what Solana Foundation is or Solana Labs. Um, does that mean that they are, what does that mean for the sort of their DAO status or, or their, you know, project status versus being a corporate entity, uh, uh, as it were? Yeah. I, I think it's a little harder for L1s in that infancy phase where it is really at the core one set of people developing it. And they often have a need to financially incentivize those people, right? Whereas, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum now have thousands of developers from all over the world contributing to open source um, materials because they want to, because it's better for them as a financial in uh, incentive, kind of second order rather than getting paid. They just are involved in the network. Um, that's more decentralized, but that takes time to get to. There almost needs to be a safe harbor provision at the L1 level, um, because it's hard to separate that when you're dealing with a complex technology stack that doesn't have incentives to contribute to it right away. Mm -hmm. What did you make of their statement uh, that they disagreed with the SEC stance on their security status? I I also mostly disagree with the um, SEC's view on on the security designations that they've they've written. I don't know if it was the best idea for a foundation to make a statement saying we disagree mm. because uh, when somebody says, Hey, you're a centralized party represented by one party. And that party is the one who puts out kind of the memo. It doesn't look great. I, it, it shouldn't move the needle in terms of securities analysis, but we have to remember that, you know, judges and regulators are people too. And they're, they're swayed by these, soft proceeding things they're swayed by things that need to be struck from the record that shouldn't matter but they do mm. uh, it's all about that subcontext so I, I don't know if i would have responded in that way yeah or maybe it would have been like having or having like one contributor say something so they could speak more freely they're kind of speaking from the perspective of the community but it's not directly from that that yeah. that core or more core entity as it were yeah and at the at the end of the day it you can say all you want in public but you either need to decide you're going to litigate it and push for your day in court because right now you're an un, you're a named unrepresented party in a, a different suit and you have your right to defend yourself um or you don't pick that fight and you just stay quiet on it and wait for it to go away um i don't know if playing a pr fight is going to actually gain them any benefit there but it's also like you know to be fair i think a very complicated situation especially from the seat of of the folks at solana because you know the community wants to hear from from the leadership there they want it they want some clarity they want um to sort of be, be comforted in a confusing time um so i don't envy Absolutely. i don't yeah. envy their their position um so thinking about the market um you know, it's it's been interesting. Um, it's been quiet, so it's almost like, at least from my perspective, nice to get some headlines. Um, keep me, keep me, uh, you know, keep you employed. Keep yeah. me employed, or also just keep. Sometimes, like you know, with the show, it's like nothing really to talk about because I know we're, we're so scraping the bottom of the barrel. We got to me. It's man. No, it's... <laughs> no, no, not quite. I mean, in terms of um, 
you know, there there there's not too much excitement um, when volatility is as low as it has been for the past month. But you've lived through multiple cycles um, in crypto, um, or just barely living, <laughs> as we do. How does uh, how does this bear market compare to previous ones? Yeah, I mean, as of this spring, it was like officially a decade of me being in the crypto space, which is like wild. Um, you know, markets haven't been like this in a, a long time. I think it's not so much how they're different this time, but the reemergence of things we thought had kind of gone away. Um, you know, there's this return of regulatory uncertainty to the industry, which we mm -hmm. haven't had to this scale in a long time. Um, and that weighs heavily into the action. It, it can move the markets drastically. It changes the flow of investment into the space. Um, there's also a lot of inorganic price movement over the past few cycles that has come from these centralized players with big war chests, lots of leverage, and you know perhaps opaque non-existent leverage, as we found in some cases. Um, but I think the biggest change that we're seeing is this return to like uh, this fractured regional arbitrage that it kind of has me worried as mm. we see ramps attacked as we see things like send and signet get taken out um you might see that canadian exchanges and bitstamp and coinbase and binance all have like a slightly different spread and that used to be over the past two to three cycles at least something that was a lot tighter um, because of the market making and as that expands it, it, it's almost like this health indicator of the ability for liquidity to move through the system and to reconcile these payments off chain into your local currency. And as that gets worse, it, it kind of feels like this underlying health indicator of something manifesting not good. Right? We haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, it's 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 a really good point. And and in a sense, it represents how the market structure is kind of degenerating or deteriorating. Mm -hmm. Um, even when we were in 2019 or post-COVID uh, and you saw sort of big market drawdowns, at the very least, you were kind of marching upwards in terms of the market structure, right? Like, it's not like, yeah, yeah. It's not like you were seeing the progress of, of the linkage between these different market participants deteriorate in the way that they have now to the point where uh, there are these big gaps in lending and liquidity mm -hmm. provisioning and, and basically everything. And that's, I mean, that translates in surprisingly not as much volatility as you would think, but at least inefficiencies to the point where people are not in, in, in engaging with the market. Yeah. And, and to put it in perspective, during like the COVID crash and even the FTX crash, Moving from, you know, Ethereum on a U.S. exchange or USDC and trying to get it into Canadian dollars on in a Canadian bank account, I might have lost like a, a half percent in trade and transfer fees across that. If I do that now, I might be losing three or four percent on spread as well. Um, and that's with years of advancement, more exchanges existing, things like USDC existing, which we didn't have way, way back. Um, there's just this unwillingness of people to tighten a lot of these spreads and to make this arbitrage. And it all points to uncertainty and a breakdown in rails and market structure that we we haven't seen in a long time. And that's where you should be uneasy, if anywhere. So what are you, what's keeping you up at night? What do you think the next shoe to drop might be? I feel fairly confident in the, in the Coinbase SEC case. Um, I think 
if anything, the SEC has the ability to drown small projects in paperwork mm -hmm. and legal fees. Uh, and they've used that, right? You know, when you look against those cases, there's not a lot of wins, but there's a hell of a lot of settlements um, mm. that he's dragged out. And he likes to point to those as victories. Those aren't victories. Those aren't admissions of guilt. So those are, those are settlements, right? Um, but that will bury a small project and paperwork to the point that they're done. Um, I worry about an onslaught of that. And I worry about any unknown risks that there are with Binance, right? You know, I'm, uh, I have a biased lens. I, I don't think Binance has been the most true and honest operator. Um, I don't think we're looking at SBF level fraud, <laughs> but I do think there's the risk that some corners had been cut or some accounting errors had been overlooked and you could have challenges there that uh, aren't good. And if something like a DOJ case comes along pinpointing a few mistakes that have been made in history, that could unearth any weakness that, you know, is in the foundation that Binance has been built upon. And that's more my concern. Um, there could be something there that is a weakness in that structure that if the full power of the U.S. government is thrown at it, doesn't end well for this industry. Uh, and, and so we have to be careful of that. What would mollify you? Um, what could Binance do rather that would mollify you of your concerns um, pertaining to that foundation? I think it'd be hard because there's a lot of it that they can't undo, right? Like in the SEC case, we've seen internal messages that point to uh, things that the DOJ are going to be interested mm -hmm. in, right? So there, there's going to be some level of action. And the best case scenario in my mind is it's fines and the withdrawal of Binance US uh, from the US market yeah. and Binance International says uh, that that's the best case. And that's that's the case I'm hoping for. Um, I, I don't know if there's much that could make me convinced that there's no other problems just with all the, the issues we've seen even that they've admitted to in the past with like accounting issues with BUSD and, and, and things like that. Um, it's hard for an organization of their scale and nature and the way that they operate to have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. Um, I think for a start though, you know, some sort of proof of reserves that's not an external audit and people can look up their balances and it's not commingled with corporate funds and you can be more confident in the exchange balances and the transparency of that would be a huge start. Even if we do that for Ethereum and all the ERC20 tokens, um, which is easier to do than all these different chains, we at least begin to paint a picture of are all the assets there, right? Mm. And then the question becomes, is there any other jurisdictional criminal liability we need to worry about that because the, the the doomsday scenario is something like, you know, Binance's domain getting seized and it's shut down and the U.S. government is putting external pressure on it from abroad. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. There's some fear mongering lawyers on Twitter who say that's where we're headed. Totally unrealistic in my mind. Um, and I'm, I'm the perma Binance bear, apparently. So <laughs> if I'm saying it's unrealistic, it's it's off the table. Um, but I, I, I do think we need to. Expect there's going to be something, and I hope it ends in a fine. Yeah, and we shall see. Well, Adam, we'll leave it there. Adam Cochran, thanks so much for taking the time to join the show. I appreciate it. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.